You create your life with the stories you tell yourself. Want more fun, love, and money? Then write your new story and live into it. Louis DiBianco's podcast, Change Your Story, Change Your Life, shows you how to discover your empowering story. You'll meet many successful people who have created magnificent lives, even when the odds were stacked against them. Plus, you'll learn the secrets of great storytelling that can explode your business. And now, here is your host, Louis DiBianco. Caterpillars. Imagine if caterpillars had a story in their heads that said, Get real. You crawl on the ground, so give up on this crazy dream of flying around from flower to flower. Wow. We would not have butterflies. It's my crazy idea that caterpillars exist and transform into butterflies to teach us a lesson about the powerful hidden potential in every human being. Hey, hello, storytellers, and welcome to another episode of Change Your Story, Change Your Life. I'm your host, Louis DiBianco. We're fortunate that our host, Audible, is enriching lives. They are offering you, our storytellers, a free audiobook download of your choice, plus a one-month free trial of all of Audible service, and you get to choose for more than 180,000 titles. Simply go to www.audibletrial.com forward slash story power and take advantage of this wonderful gift. Remember that this show is enriched by our dialogue with you. So keep your comments and inspired thoughts coming. Send them to Lewis, L-O-U-I-S, at changeyourstorypodcast.com. Today's guest has his own interesting caterpillar to butterfly story. He's transformed from a dairy goat farmer to a guy stocking shelves in a retail store to serial entrepreneur who develops systems to help you run multiple businesses successfully on automatic pilot. Get ready to learn and have some fun with Mike Giannoulis. Mike, welcome to Change Your Story, Change Your Life. Hey, thank you so much for that great intro. Uh, really glad to be here. Hey, man, you know, I called you Mike. I didn't ask you if you prefer Michael. No, it's fine. I always joke that Mike is my name. If I'm in trouble, then it's Michael. <laughs> that's that's great, man. So, Mike, where are you from? So I'm actually from a small town. Uh, I, I call it a small town uh, called Tarpon Springs, Florida, which is right near Tampa. Okay, and um, when you were growing up, who would you say influenced you the most when you were a kid? Yeah, you know, I, I, uh, quite a few people. For me especially, it was my family. So um, I've got, you know, I grew up in a very unique way where um, my almost my entire family lived on the same street. So I grew up with my grandparents and my mom, I had aunts and uncles and cousins and brothers and sisters, all of us just kind of on the same street, um, house by house by house. Like, like, like the first half of the street was just all my family. And growing up, especially 
My grandfather was very, very important to, to me. And he really taught me a lot about hard work and being, you know, being a person of honor and integrity and doing everything you can to, to, to like, you know, do the best you can for other people. And my, my mom, especially, um, she was a single mom for quite some time. And, um, she worked so hard to take care of, of me, my, my brother, my sister. And I, and I learned a lot from her just again about, about being serious. And when you make an obligation, you know, doing everything you can to fulfill on that. And so for, for me, especially early on, you know, my family was just everything for me. That's powerful, man. Uh, do you have, how many siblings do you have? So I just have one brother and one sister. So there's just three of us. I kind of always will say to my sister, I'll say, well, you're my favorite sister. And my, <laughs> you know, and my brother is my favorite brother. But tell us who's your favorite brother. We'd always kind of play that with her. Um, you know, I don't really know yet. I still think it's my other brother, not not me. But you know. <laughs> Is Giannoulis a Greek name? It's a Greek name, yeah. So my dad was actually from Greece. He moved over here and I think it was like the late seventies, met my mom, they got married. I was born in nineteen eighty one. And um he was around kind of off and on till I was about nine. And unfortunately they um separated. He went back to Greece and uh they divorced um I think sometime in the early 90s but i think it was so um i didn't really grow up with like a greek culture so i I tell people that i'm probably like the worst greek person that 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 there is i barely even eat uh greek food like i I like greek salads and uh i like olives but that's about it so um yeah i but i am greek yeah was your mother greek as well No, no no my mom she's like um She's a little bit Italian and, and English and all kinds of stuff. So she's just like your common everyday person, I guess, from the <laughs> U.S., you know. Now, did you ever dream when you were a kid of what you wanted to be when you grew up? Yeah, you know, I was I always sort of dreamed of being some kind of a a creator of some sort. I always loved like writing and telling stories and and actually like selling too which is kind of weird but i enjoyed it i thought i thought it was fun and i thought it was kind of fun to um be creative in business that was something that for for me was something that i that i always liked so even when i was young i I got especially into personal development and I would read all kinds of books. That's why I find it cool that you opened up your, your piece with the whole caterpillar thing, because there was a program I went through when I was probably like maybe 14 or 15 or so. And it was by Tom Hopkins. And in it, he, he has a whole talk about going from a caterpillar to a butterfly. And that really spoke to, to me. And so I would actually, I recall, you know, being around 16 or 17. And I would, ha- and I had a tape player in my car and I would bring my friends in the car. These are kids like 15, 16 years old. And, and I would try my best to play the personal development stuff to them. And they, 
wanted nothing to do with it at all. It turns out most teens are not into that stuff. So, um, but I, but I was. So I, I think for, for me, I, I always felt like I wanted to do more with my life. I wanted to be more. And I kind of always felt like I had a lot to give. And, um, that's why it's cool now to be able to do what I do and, and um, help other people. That's wonderful. Yeah, Tom Hopkins is one of the great uh, sales trainers trainers of the world. Yeah, he is. I, I went through his entire sales program and uh, and his personal development stuff when I was just a kid. Wow. You know, it's not so weird. You said that you were thinking you like selling because, I mean, selling involves um, – motivating people and you do it by telling stories yeah you know so yeah. it is a creative endeavor if you're doing it if you're doing it correctly uh yeah. so tell us why you dropped out of high school well that's a odd one so <clears throat> probably around that age 17 18 um i really got bored with school I was so burned out. I my school started at 7:05 a.m. You, you had to be in your seat at 7:05 um, when the bell rang, <clears throat> and and I kind of was just burned out. And I and I was going through a lot of, at at um home. I think I was in that sort of rebellious age where I thought I knew better than everyone else, and I thought, "Hey, what's the point of school? I'm going to do my own thing anyway." I didn't really see myself at that point going to college and, or at least I thought if I did, it, it was going to be right now. So I, I actually, and the crazy part was I was actually doing fine in school. I had very good grades. I was, you know, th above a, th a 3.0, um, GPA. So I, I dropped out and, um, for about six weeks and my mom just about died. Like she was not going to accept it. So she really, was just getting on me every day. So actually, after about six weeks of being dropped out, I actually went back to school. Um, and I was able to get back in because I was actually so ahead that I didn't have to do that much. So even though I missed an entire like six week time frame, um, I was still fine. And I graduated with my class on time. And the crazy part is, um, I actually got a scholarship to go to any school in the state and it paid for 75% of my schooling so i was just to short answer i was just being kind of stupid you know so i well, dropped out but i got to go back you know i don't know if i would call it stupid um you were bored and we're learning a lot about the value or lack of value of a lot of our education not to yeah. say that that education is a bad thing, but yeah. Look, well, I mean, look, Mike. If we look at the top top uh, movers and shakers in this world right now, the people who are incredibly creative and extremely successful and making a huge difference in the world, a lot of these people couldn't tolerate school, and you know. I don't, it wasn't because there was something wrong with them. It was because they didn't fit into that kind of regimented way of quote unquote learning. Yeah. And, and that was my, my thing. I, I think it, it got to be really tough to kind of be stuck. You know, I would go to the class and actually be done with the entire thing. 
for the whole week. I would do everything that I was supposed to do in just a few, few days. But I was still expected to be there and kind of just, you know, drag on. I even recall being being a kid and we got a booklet and we were told, you know, do one page every day or something like that. And I guess I did the I did the entire thing. And the teacher, I went in and showed it to, to her because I was so proud of myself. I was like, hey, look, I did this whole booklet. She actually took me to the front of the classroom and she was like, I told you guys to stay with the class. You see this book? He did the whole book. She grabs it and she ripped it in half in front of the entire classroom. And I remember I went home just crying my eyes out, just bawling. How old were you? I was probably second, third, fourth grade in that, in the, in that age. Thankfully, my mom was furious and she went down to the school, had a huge, you know, argument with the teacher and basically said, you know, she was, and she kind of said to me, don't ever let people stop you. You know, if you want to do it, go do it. And that was so cool for, for, for me. But at the same time, now that I'm older, I really see that school it's set up. I mean, let's be honest, the government sets it up for what's in their best interest, right? And what's in their best interest, but to create employees to work the jobs, to pay the taxes, to run everything. There so, you go. Yeah. So basically, it's a system designed to replicate the job world. I mean, you sit in a straight line. The teacher's like your boss. If you get in trouble, you have to go report to management. You have to ask, can I go to the bathroom? Can I come back from the bathroom? Is this right? Is that right? And, you know, when you when you get a break, you get this break and that break, and you have to actually respond to a bell, which is exactly what you do if you work in a factory type job. So our entire education systems are built upon sort of this creating factory type people, which is okay if that's what you want to do. But it's not okay when you force an entire generation of people to be to, to learn that one way. And that's where I think schooling gets off. And, and I think even college just kind of continues that and it just continues training you for that job. Um, you know, that's that's my I, thoughts anyway. No, I totally agree. I, and what's interesting is that that model, uh, that story is rapidly being rewritten by the changes in our society due to digital technology. And that educational system that used to train people to be employees is going to disappear, and it should disappear. So what was the business that you started when you were 19 years old? So when I was 19, I teamed up with a friend of mine, and we actually started a dairy goat farm. So... um we decided that it would be kind of fun to not do. You know, now, I'm not a farmer. I was actually at that point in time, I was up there um, working in a church, going to a Bible college, um, kind of pursuing at the time that pathway. And um, I got involved in with, you know, we were trying to figure out like a program that we could start that would help men who were struggling to kind of get back on their feet. And so we thought if we did this, um, if we did this kind of a goat farm, then we could provide jobs for people. So we actually went out and I, you know, we met with the FSA and the, the farmer uh, uh, 
services and they're under the USDA here in the States. And, and we were able to get the funds to buy not just like 10 or 20 or 30 goats, but actually 500 of them. And, um, we, they were all pregnant and all of them had kids in about the same 30 day period. So I went from not knowing anything about farm life at all to helping to run this organization with 500 goats. And then as they all had kids, we probably got up to over a thousand goats total. Um, that was, that was kind of my first foray into sort of this, uh, you know, real b- business. Well, where did you keep these goats? You had a, what, you buy so this was in Illinois. So this was in Illinois. And my friend who kind of owned everything, he was like the true owner of it all. He, he had the farm and, and, and all that stuff. I was sort of a, you know, behind the scenes partner and was working on a handshake type deal, you know? So tell me what, what was the business itself? Like, I mean, so you had these goats. So, so, yeah. yeah. So the business was actually that we would milk these goats and then we would sell that milk to a farm or a uh, factory in Wisconsin. And in Wisconsin, they would, they would turn that milk, that goat's milk into cheese. That was the actual, that was the strategy anyway. Unfortunately, it didn't really ever even get that far because we ran into a lot of obstacles. So how did you resolve it? Well, basically, long story short, because I could spend a whole hour just on this, um, but we ended up having the um, the goats. So the um, the USDA um, worked with the EPA, and the EPA, which is like a you know environmental protection agency here in the states, and and they didn't approve of the waste treatment plan that had been drawn up. So they came in and they had the USDA pull the funding that, that we had. So the funding was pulled. We couldn't feed the goats. We couldn't pay the staff people and everyone quit. And at the end of the day, the government actually stepped in and repossessed the goats, all of them and took them and sold them to a sales, to, to a sale barn. And at the end of the day, they took everything and kind of my friend, you know, kind of took a pretty big hit and had to, I'm pretty, I think they wrote off the bad debt. But, um, yeah, so that's the thing I often say is so many people have the story of they lost a car or their house or something for their business, but few people can ever say they had a goat repossessed. You know, so a thousand, was, a thousand goats. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so what was the major lesson that you learned from that experience? I think my biggest thing was a few things. One, don't bite off more than you can chew, especially at first. You know, I should have kind of got more involved as I understood it. I think two, make sure you know what you're getting into or at least have a background in in that area. And I think three to, you know, passion, passion plays a really big part in the success that people achieve. So I feel like, you know, if you don't have the passion there, then it's probably not going to last for you. And that's something that I I think I was just getting involved because I was young. Um, But it's also important when you are young to kind of try things out because you don't really know right till you jump in. Um, 
So yeah, that but my biggest my biggest breakthrough from that whole thing was don't buy goats. That's my <laughs> top uh, top thing that I that I try to tell people now. Well, you know, it's funny you're talking about before. You come from a Greek home. You don't feel Greek, and yet goats and goat cheese. It's very yeah. Greek. It's very Greek. <laughs> yeah, that's feta cheese. We call it. You know, yeah. I I will say this. I do love that. I do love feta. But here, we, so here's my my quick kind of uh, breakthrough from from this whole thing that I've been thinking about this for quite some time, and this is the first time I'm going to actually really share this. But what I think the three areas are that you really have to focus on when you want to find success in uh, um, career business type type thing. You want to kind of find the center point um, between your talent or, or, or your skills, your passion or your interest and your, um, and your um, c- commitment or your ethic, the work ethic. So those are kind of the, the three things that you have to have is, is talent, passion, and drive is kind of probably the better word for it. And you develop your talent, you discover your passion, and you determine to be driven. That's, hmm. that's a real big key there. So you, you got to kind of combine those three. Um, and people always say, well, well, how do I know what my passion is? Right. I don't really know. I, I think that you have to discover your passion. You have to look at your interests because really your interests become passion. So in, so in one, one way to think of it in a sense is that passion is an interest that's been set on fire, you know? That's that's a very a very good way to picture it. So those are the three points, and I think that successful people, the ones that achieve really really big things, are people that that hit that exact sweet spot. They develop their skills, they discovered the right the, the passion, and they were driven. They were determined to be driven, and they put all those three things together, and that's where I think success comes from i love it may i share with you what how that i feel applies to my journey yes please please my background my passion has been most of my adult life dramatic communication i'm an actor i've uh, been in many feature films been on stage i've taught acting and i love everything to do with the world of dramatic communication. And recently, although I still act, my whole thing with storytelling is taking the skills and the craft of dramatic storytelling and helping people to express themselves authentically in a way that they make an impact on the world. And to, um, to do presentations, for instance, And I see that all dramatic communication in business is related to the way great stories are told for the theater and for film. So they're all related. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that, too. I actually do a whole course where I teach people how to write ads. And a big piece to that is story. Because that's truly, I mean, story, I believe story is 
basically the core element of the human experience. I think, you know, yeah, nothing, yeah. we don't, we don't truly experience anything other than the story we tell ourselves about, about what we experienced, you know? So I, I view story as the filter of humanity. And, and so many times when we sell stuff, I do the same thing. I don't, you know, there's, there's few things that will draw a crowd better than saying, Hey, let me tell you a story. And then suddenly all of us are turned back in to children sitting on the floor as a storyteller reads us a book. You know, it's a, it's just such a core human thing that, that I love. I mean, I, I love, love, love stories so much. I, I read all kinds of books on just how to tell better stories. I love it, man. You know what? We could end the podcast right now. And that would be the major lesson for the month. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, uh, yeah. It's like really, really true to my heart. Um, you know, Joe Polish. Yes. Yes. I don't know him, but I know of him. I love what he says. He says selling is influence. Marketing is storytelling. Mm. And really yeah, I mean, it's, it's so true. And I think the reason that it has, it just captures people and draws them in is because story goes to the heart of your emotions, whereas data doesn't. Data just goes to your brain and you need data to understand, but to really get on fire and to transform, you need that emotional um, component. And you get to that through story. Yep. I Beautiful agree. stuff, man. Beautiful stuff. What did you learn from your job stocking shelves? You know, that one was a quick thing. And I think um, the biggest takeaway that I had from that was honestly how to treat people better and how to treat people like people and not like a piece of equipment because we had a boss there who was just one of those guys that, that loves to use fear to intimidate and kind of throw around, you know, throw around his, uh, power. And that really, I've always had this really strong streak in me, call it my, my libertarian streak. But I just, whenever I, I hate seeing the abuse of a, authority really do it just really like turns me into a completely different person like it calls out to me in some weird way where i i just i almost change because i'm just like a regular guy and like really easy going but man when i see authority being abused it just really is like my pet peeve and so i, I think i i took from that seeing him i i was actually able to kind of confront him on it and talk to him and I don't think it, it did anything. It wasn't like I, you know, I was at that time probably like 23 or so. And I don't think it really meant much to, to him. But to me, I think about it all the time because now that I'm in a position of authority, I just want to make sure that I treat my people with respect that they're the real secret to the success that I've had is, is being able to attract and keep amazing people, you know? And, and so I, I always think back to, to that job. And how it felt to be treated how I perceived to be wrong. And I just don't ever want to do that to anyone, um, even in general, but especially those who work for me or my companies. Mm. Powerful lesson. 
Very much so, yeah. How did you wind up on a reality TV show? Oh, man. So this one, um, I, I think about me that some people that meet me now don't really realize it, but um, I, I, at my... At, at my peak, if you want, if you want to use the word peak, but I actually, at one point in my life, weighed as much as five hundred and forty pounds. Oh come on! Yeah, I was five hundred and forty pounds, which was, you know, over a quarter of a ton. I, I even thought to myself once, man, I'm closer to a thousand pounds than I am to zero. You know, well, how did you? How, how did you move around, man? Uh, you know. I guess I was always just kind of big, so my body was just kind of strong. Come to find out, I took one of those uh, DNA tests, the kind from uh, 23 and Me, and I, it did come back and say that um, I have the body build or the body type of an elite athlete. So it said like my DNA was the kind that if there were two really good athletes, my special DNA would have pushed me in front. Of everyone else. So all I can assume is that that special elite athlete gene was able to keep me up. Cause I, I mean, when I was on the show, so I got casted on this show to drop the weight. I had a year to work with personal trainers. We, we, we exercised four hours a day, sometimes five or six, almost every day. We, we only took off Sundays and just train, 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 train. But, um, at one point on the show, when I first, first began, I was 493 pounds and they had me do a triathlon, not a big one, but it was like a pretty good size. I mean, for being how big I was, you know, being almost at that point, almost 500, um, I, I think it was like, and I, I, I'm, this is not exact, but something like a, um, let's say, a, a, a 200 yard swim and then a four, I think a four mile bike ride and then a one mile uh walk and being that big it was super hard six months after that i was down to around 320 pounds and i did a what's called an olympic distance triathlon and that was a one mile swim a 25 mile bike ride and then a 10k run which is 6.2 miles and i did that at over three hundred pounds and the host of the show even said at, at the end it took me a total of just over four hours and the host of the show even said that he had never seen such a feat done before so that was kind of cool what and, was the show what was the show called? Um, so the show it, it aired in 2012 on abc and it was called at the time extreme makeover weight loss a the show name changed a few years after that to just extreme weight loss. So now it still airs or um, the um, replays of it air on the Oprah channel and TLC. It'll still air sometimes, which is weird because they all get all these emails from people, you know, that just kind of saw it on TV. They go and find me. Now, did they all you also had to undergo a diet change, right? Oh yeah, for sure. It was a huge change. I mean, we changed, I mean, everything across the spectrum. Now, what do you weigh today? So right now I, I weigh uh, 205 pounds, 
the the other day I was down to 201. I'm making it my goal to get in the, you know, any. I just would love to weigh one. Just if I could weigh 199 for just like an hour is is all I want to see it, you know. But I'm real close. I just have to be a little bit stricter. But actually, my body fat's pretty good now. I've been getting it checked out, and my body fat's just close to to 18 uh, per, percent, which is pretty good. I still have some extra skin on me too. It's they say about 10 pounds of of uh, skin. So if I can get all that chopped off, then I'll 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 be set. It just takes time, you know. I've done two skin surgeries where they take off skin, and I have probably three or four more left. How tall are you? I am about five eleven. Okay. If you go wow. by like the if you go by the traditional like charts, I should be like one seventy or something like that. But my doctor said no. He said I'm good as I am. Um, I think also I built up a lot of like bone strength because when you're as big as I was for that long, your body kind of expands out. Even my chest is bigger than like an average chest. And I found out it's because I got so big, my um, lungs expanded to provide oxygen. And that Whoa. and that made my thoracic cavity kind of push out some. So in some ways, I will always have a bigger chest. The cool part is, at this point in my life, I have a 100% clean bill of health, no issues, no problems, and I just feel incredible. Like every day, I honestly can't believe how awesome I feel. Like it kind of shocks me, you know, that like that you can feel this good. That's fantastic, man. Wow. What an inspirational story. Now, what opportunities grew from that reality TV show experience? You know, I didn't really pursue too much of that stuff. I, I kind of um, went more towards business stuff. Because I like health and I like fitness and all that, but it's it's not like a diehard passion of mine. If we, if we go back to my three things, right? Um, it's fun for me. I'll help out people as I can, but I really, really like business stuff. So I, I think it they, it just kind of helps me now if people are like for like for this, you know, if people are gonna are gonna interview me or they want to chat with me about something with business. Once they hear that story, it really opens them up, and they're like, hey, I, you know, I just kind of. I think I think people love seeing like a good story like that. And so that, in that way, at least it's kind of opened up doors for me for people to, um, you know, to talk to me or invite me to stuff. And I have had a few phone calls with some producers who are thinking about doing some other shows and they're they're thinking about me being involved. I haven't heard much more about that. These kind of things could take take time. But that's kind of, that's also out there at some mm, point. Mm. And what you said about people liking that kind of story, it's the, what I call the zero to hero story. I mean, we identify with people who are facing major obstacles that might seem insurmountable and watching them win and, you know, uh, overcome the obstacles and, reach a level of success and fulfillment. That's just part, again, of how we as people are hardwired. That's why movies are so popular. Mm. Like, think of the Rocky movie. The Rocky movie was exactly that. An underdog. A guy who was not likely to become 
a world champion. And then he goes up and he becomes a champ. And it's, you know, that's what every human being in the world dreams about. It's powerful, mm. man. Very yeah. powerful. Yeah. Now, what are the major personal obstacles, if any, did you overcome to achieve your success? Well, you know, we kind of talked about the weight loss stuff. We talked about, you know, about kind of growing up. I didn't really have a lot. I, I didn't come from um, wealth by any means. And I think the other big one, and I still have this to this day, it's a small struggle, but I also grew up with a stutter and I'm in the lucky, you know, 1% or so of kids who uh, stuttered that, that still have it. So for me, I've got to constantly be very, very aware of the words I say and the sounds that I make. And for me, like the L words are one of my toughest ones, that L sound. Um, but I, you know, I've just constantly always been focused on it. And in some ways it gave me an unfair advantage too, because it made me learn to use different words or different phrases to say the same thing. So in, in my mind, as, as I would talk, I would constantly be scrolling in my head through, I can't say that word. Well, what word could I say? I could say this, I could say this, I could change that. And I really think that made me a better uh, speaker, a better writer. And the other thing too is when you stutter like I do, you've got to be very focused and you have to kind of take a lot of pauses. And I found that the power of the pause, which I'm sure you, you know that, it, it's such an incredible tool when you're speaking or even when you're acting. It's like when you're not talking is when the eyes are most drawn into you because we expect mm. it, right? Yep, 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 and absolutely. So, I, so I've kind of been, been able to just be a better speaker because I have to be, if that makes sense. I'm not going to be the guy that talks too fast. I'm going to be the guy, if anything, that seems very, very focused and very deliberate. You know, I love it. Do you, you're familiar with a Ryan Halliday? Uh, right? Yes, actually. Yes, I am. And uh, you must have read his book, The Obstacle is the Way. Yes, I love that book. One I mean, that's, that's exactly what you're talking about. Exactly true. Yeah, it, it is. I think so many times, yeah, the obstacle that we think is there to stop us is actually the thing that's going to propel us to the next uh, step. And you know where he got that from, eh? Um, stoic philosophy, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, very, very interesting indeed. Love yeah. this stuff. So who, uh, what are the thought leaders in the personal development world uh, do you admire the most? You know, I've always been a fan, like I said, of Tom Hopkins. Um, I like Tony Robbins, of course, his stuff. Um, the one that really spoke to me a lot going at a certain age, when kind of when I was in, when I was in my 20s, kind of like finding myself still, um, I went through a lot of stuff by Wayne Dyer. Oh, yeah. And the thing about that was I never felt like an attraction towards his stuff. I always thought he was a little bit out there with kind of the metaphysical stuff, you know. And I always thought, oh, I'm going to be more like Tony's stuff. I, I want to focus on his stuff. And I would buy Tony's books and read them. And kind of go, oh, that was neat, and kind of throw it down, and it didn't really have an impact on me in that sense. But then I would get, I read a few things and went through a course by Wayne Dyer, 
And I was just like blown away. Like somehow the way that he wrote it just hit me. You know, it wasn't anything that necessarily he did right or wrong. I just think the way he wrote it spoke to me. And um, so he was someone that I that I enjoyed. And I mean, of course, if you were to ask me what exactly did you learn, like what one thing, it's it's, it's hard to say. I, I think it was that time where he really was just a good like a good feedback for me, you know. But I mean, one one big thing that I that I did take for, from him was he was talking about about. pain you know and, and how does how do we deal with pain or hurt from the past and then he talked about the Peloponnesian war and he was like wasn't that terrible I mean people died I mean tens of thousands of people were killed it was a bloody event it served no purpose just death 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 and the truth is none of us here really care about that we're not going we don't think about it right but his point was that event is just as much in the past as an event that happened to you yesterday there's really no real difference in the substance of it being in the past the only difference to, to tie this all back in again is the story that you tell yourself about that thing mm. and so many times i think as people that's what we do right we sell ourselves on a story that we continue to repeat we put it on on repeat especially if we can become the victim of our own story. Many times we mistakenly make ourselves the victim of a story and not the hero of the story. And, and that's where, um, that was a big breakthrough for, for me was to, to really think about the, about the past that it's over. You know, Tom Hopkins even, I think talked about, you know, what is the past, but a bucket of ashes. It's burned up. It's gone. What do you do with it? You throw it away, you know, many of us want to hold on to it and carry it on and say, hey, this is my bucket of ashes. It, it, it's so hard, you know, like let it go. And that was at that time in, in, in my life, that was a big thing for, for, for me because I had a lot of regret that I didn't really start business till I was about 24. And I thought, what did I do from 18 to, to, to 24? You know, I felt like it was just a big time waster but now i realized that i was kind of developing myself and developing who i was going to be and um and, and 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 i learned not to apply meaning to that beyond what i choose to i love this look in a way you're promoting my shows i mean that's the theme of my show but i love what you said about the past that i just watched a brilliant podcast of a video version of a podcast between Joe Polish and Dan Sullivan, who runs Strategic Coach. And one of the things he said, he says, the future and the past are both made up. And when he said that, I said, wow, that's true. We don't think of the past as made up. We have a, a memory and we feel that memory is objective reality but it's not it's it's colored by a story and that in that sense we're making up the past and so yeah it's valuable to focus on where you're going not on where you think you came from mm. i yeah. love that i love that man yeah. that's really good stuff 
Um, are you familiar with uh, Wayne Dyer's The Power of Intention, that book? Yes, yes. Yeah. Yep. And uh, that, in order to really set intention, you've got to be forward thinking, not thinking about the past. This is this yep. is stuff. This is the kind of stuff that excites me, man. <laughs> now, yeah. there's an important concept that all very successful people get: the concept of scale. Mm. What's your take on what it is, and how do you begin to scale a business? Yeah, so we're focusing now on business side. I, I, it's kind of funny because this year the theme of my company for, you know, going for 2018 going into 20, um, 2019 is actually, I'm calling it scaling the seven C's. And each C is a different thing that we're going to scale, um, up on. And, when I look at an organization, the first thing I do is I like to apply what I call the um, MOPS test. The MOPS, you know, because you got to clean things up, right? So what are the MOPS? Marketing, operations, product fulfillment, and sales. Those are really the four factors you have to have to be able to scale a company up. If you can't do Marketing, you won't get the leads that you need to, 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 to feed them to sales. If you, if you get those leads and you can't convert them with your sales team, then you're not going to have any success either because what good is a lead that can't be sold? It's just an expense, right? Um, now let's say you figure out marketing, you figure out sales, but if your product is garbage, then you're going to end up having refunds and chargebacks and upset customers and problems, right? And so at that point, your scaling will break too. But let's say you have all that down. You got good marketing, you have good sales, you have good uh, product fulfillment. That's awesome. But your operations aren't good. Well, that's going to, that can, that can get you by, but it's going to really prevent you from being able to scale. Because your customer service may not be there. You may not respond in time to a refund request that, that will come in. That's just whenever you do volume. Um, you, you gotta constantly be thinking about how do you manage the machine? You gotta have someone to oversee hiring employees, firing employees, bringing in the right people, getting rid of the wrong people. There's so many different things happening that you really need that entire, that entire team um, you know, functioning. So the way that I always think of it is you've got to view scaling like a scale. By that, I mean, you have to kind of rise it all at the same time and keep it balanced because you really can't increase marketing if you don't have the sales team to follow up with those leads, right? Um, so you've got to be consistently bringing everything up at the same time. The, the more you sell, the more you're going to need operations, the more you're going to need the product to be more streamlined. So one of our companies, we actually sell a web design service where we'll, we'll build an e-commerce store for, for people. And we're consistently saying to ourselves, how can we improve the setup process, right? How do we get better at it? How do we get faster at it? And we've been able to bring it down from like six or seven steps. And now we have it down to only three steps that where the customer has to do their part. 
So we're, it's consistently about removing obstacles, reducing hurdles and getting better and better at all four of those phases. And lest I forget, there's also finance. And I believe finance is very in, in, important. But for me so far, finance has been something that we can outsource or get help with from, from the outside. Um, it's not as important at our current stage, but as we scale up, then it becomes way more important because then you start dealing with cash flow and all of those type of concerns. Um, but to get it started and to, to begin your first scaling, the focus is on MOPS. That's great, man. That, that's a, it's very clear. Wonderful images. I uh, love yeah. the image of uh, the scale, uh, raising it uh, and balancing everything at the same time. Um, makes a lot of sense. Tell yeah. us about the success journey of one of your most recent clients' companies. Sure. So, you know, basically most of the stuff now that we do is in-house where we've taken over and we kind of uh, partner with people. But we, we do have one sort of outside uh, client still. Or we, we, we have a few, but one of them that really jumps out to, to me um, is a guy named Kane. And Kane owns a company that allows people to – he teaches – um, people like uh, professionals, so we're talking like financial services people, doctors, chiropractors, dentists, a lot of those types of people, how to advertise online. So he'll teach them how to like create funnels and, and to attract people into their, into their practice, how to kind of really build a legitimate business out of what they have. So it's, you know, the majority of these guys, um, they've kind of gotten where they're at by just getting referrals. Now they're at a point where they want to do something else. Right. So, so with this, um, we partnered with him and we provided the management of all of his traffic to, um, to sign people up. He does these front end seminars and we got people to sign up for him to go attend and, you know, I think at one event that we did the advertising on, um, he did like somewhere around 500,000 in sales, which is incredible off of like a 30 or 40 grand ad spend. Mm. So nice. Pretty, pretty epic. Yeah, that is. That's that's wonderful, wonderful stuff. His question was, can can we do more? <laughs> of course. Like, yeah. So we we do more now. Now, of all the jobs that you had, which one would you say taught you the most? Oh, man. You, you know, probably, honestly, it's the job I got when I was 24 or 25. I, I worked for a direct response company. And I learned so much about how to write sales copy. Um, I learned how to manage a team of people. Um, I, I learned pretty much everything that I still do to this day. That was the best job that I ever had as far as being being brand new, not not understanding anything to I, I got to attend all these events. I got access to all these courses and programs. And uh, that for me was for sure, like by far the, the best job ever. And it's directly related to what you do. So, yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. What passions do you have outside of work, Mike? 
You know, probably for me, they're a little bit odd because I really like it. I, I enjoy what I do so much. So I don't do a lot of like outsider stuff um, outside of business. One of my hobbies that I do for fun with my wife, which is weird because it's not what you would call a regular hobby, but we flip houses um, and have a, and my and I have a partner too on that side who helps fund it too. So we've done about two or three now, and um, we just enjoy it kind of like like a little side hobby. And, um, I also am now just now getting into kite surfing. So this is a thing where you kind of hold a kite up in the air and you surf at the same time. I've not yet got out there to do both at, at, at the same time, but I'm going through training now to get, to get up for it. It turns out that the town I'm, that I'm from, uh, Tarpon Springs is one of like a, I've, I've been told like a top 10 place to go kite surfing. So we'll see how that pans out. But, but my real hobby of like, I guess you'd say, quote unquote, fun is I love to go watch movies. That's like my favorite thing, you know, um, again, you're talking, so, right, you're talking right to, to my, right to my yeah. heart, man. So what, yeah. what's, what's your favorite movie? Oh, man, that's like such a hard question. Yeah. I guess I think in some ways it's, pro- it's probably the Sandlot. Um, old kind of kids movie from like 92. It was just a great little film and it was about a, you know, group of a ragtag kids who, um, who play baseball and it has a very, um, Americana feel to it. It's, it's, it's like, it takes place in like the, I think like the 1950s or 60s. So it kind of has that kind of, that kind of vibe. And, uh, yeah, that's probably my favorite. Do you have a favorite genre of film? Um, I really like comedies. I think I just like to laugh, so I really like comedies. I I like dramas too and action somewhat too, but but for me a good joke film is just kind of what I love, especially like the smarter comedies. I love like the Gene Wilder um stuff when, when he was doing it with, um, so I can't try to remember right now his name. I'm kind of uh, blanking out the comedian that he always would partner with Richard Pryor. Oh, I yeah. love their, their, yeah. their stuff just, uh, just cracks me up. You know, those kind of, those kind of films with the, the, the quick boom, 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 back and forth. I just really, really enjoy those. Okay. I've got a show for you on Netflix, um, that made, excite you because it's certainly got a it's a powerful comic it it it's it's a comedy with really great drama as well mm-hmm. uh and it's intelligent it's called rake r-a-k rake. yeah yeah it's uh australian richard oh, Ro- nice. richard roxborough he's he plays a lawyer who's a criminal lawyer who's absolutely brilliant he's also totally dysfunctional his relationships suck. He's got a drinking habit. He's got drug abuse problems, and he's got sex addiction. Mm, All of it, so, yeah. and, and it's hysterical. It's hysterical. Yeah. R A K E. I'll check it out. Yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> Where do you see yourself in five years? You know, I, my my goal is is to, is to be at the helm of a five hundred million dollar a year in sales company 
where we teach people um, how to start or grow in a bit business um, or as well to in- invest. So I really love the idea of investing for the long term. And I love the idea of, of alternative investing. So that's my goal is to kind of grow a sales company to that size where we partner with different experts that teach people different financial strategies, be it, be it, you know, semi traditional investing, like with options and like stock plays. But beyond that, creating your own business, creating your own assets, um, investing in, uh, blockchain technology, all those kind of things. That's kind of what I'm after these days is people that have unique, cool, alternative ways to generate income. You said that with such ease, like as soon as I asked it. So it's obviously something front of mind. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Do you have a favorite book? You know, right now, because that's kind of what I always, always have to say is like right now, um, a book that I really, really enjoying at this point, and I've gone through it a few times, and I'm going through it again now, is How to Write a Good Advertisement. It's just such a great like recap of everything it takes to really write something that gets people to want to buy your product or your service. And it was written, I want to say like in the sixties or fifties, it's a pretty old book now. And, um, but it's just, it's just like spot on just everything about each chapter. You're like, wow. And it seems like common sense, but when you read it, you realize, man, people very rarely do this. It's by a guy named Victor Schwab and it's called how to write a good advertisement. Uh, it's either in my bookshelf or it was. Yes. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. And how about a favorite quote? You know, my favorite quote, um, is probably, you know, there's a few of them that I have, but I love the quote that says, you know, whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. I love that quote. And, and, and to tie it back into the whole, uh, story thing with, with, with you and, this is a quote that I that I came up with that that I love a lot and I say it a lot. I'll tell people if all the world's a stage, be a character worth remembering. And uh, I try every day to live by by that. You know, I love that. Do you know who said that one? Hmm. Well, I know Shakespeare said all the world's a stage, and mm-hmm. we are but and we are but uh, players. Well, yeah, exactly. Uh, my, so my spin on it if, is if that's true, if all the world is a stage, then be a character worth remembering. Oh, so it's yours. I love that. A little spin on it, yeah. You know, it's interesting. I just had an interview with a, a woman named Julie Broad before you, and she also, her quote was her own quote. And uh, the other one that you stated, I believe, is usually attributed to Henry Ford, whether you think you can, uh, yeah. think you can, you're right. And I love that one as well. So now, Mike, if you could wave a magic wand and change just one thing in the world, what would it be? You know, I think it's a tough one because there are so many things. Um, but I, I think I would love to just, if I could, make it so just so everyone that, you know, man, gosh. There's so many things. Um, I think the easiest fix would be that there, that everyone on earth had enough to eat and drink safely. I think we never even think about that. The amount of people that just 
that can't eat or don't have anything to drink. It's just baffles me. You know, I, I, I try to raise funds now each year for a charity called Charity Water. And they go to these places and, and they'll actually build a, um, well for, for people, you know, and just, uh, you know, just something like that would have a huge, huge impact. You're not going to believe this. I, like I said, I just did a podcast interview about 20 minutes ago. Yeah. And the woman had the exact same thing. Wow. That's exact crazy. same thing. She just said, I would, Make it so that every human being had enough food and water. My God, huh. it's incredible. Crazy. It yeah. is crazy, yeah. And uh, building wells, uh, I guess one of the places might be Malawi, Africa. Yeah, I think spots like that, yeah. Yeah, because um, I have a friend who does that, and uh, that's his passion. That is really very, it's wonderful, and it's quite fascinating that it's exactly the same. You don't even know who this person is. And uh, how can people contact you? Yeah, so I made a special page just for everyone who's here on this uh, podcast right now. If okay. They, just go, if they can go to onlyonemike.com. It's O-N-E, so onlyonemike.com with an O-N-E. Um, onlyonemike.com slash change. So onlyonemike.com slash change. And on that page, it has all my contact info, all my social stuff. And um, there's also a book that I'm going to give away for free to anyone who goes to the page. It's called How to Obliterate the Blank Page, um, which is basically how to write sales copy that converts when you're starting from scratch. It's kind of like my my tips and tricks on how I write sales copy to get people to buy stuff when, you know, when I don't have, you know, when I'm just kind of sitting there staring at the blank page. Well, thank you. That's wonderful. I'm sure people will take advantage of that. Now, is that a a downloadable book, an ebook? Yes. Yeah. So, yep. It'll get it'll get emailed right to them. Beautiful, beautiful. I'm going to be taking advantage of that myself. And any final thoughts, Mike? You know, my final thoughts are just kind of to wrap it, everything up. Here is, you know, if you're out there and you and you've thought about you want to achieve things like like we've been saying like this is your story and now's the time there's no time like right now to get started so you know get out there and go make it happen you you know you're the author of your own book and every day that you live is is a day that you write a page in, in that book and every so often is, is a new chapter right and and it's it's up to you to, to, to take control of it and go out there and do the best you can with what you have. And that's all that, that any of us can do. So I, I, I invite you to do that. I love that. You know, um, I have a, a mentor who, in reference to that same thought about it, it's now, he says, if you look at your watch, it always has the same time. It's now hmm. o'clock. Huh, that's good. Yeah. Wow. Thank you, man. This has been engaging. It's been profound. And uh, you've delivered a lot of uh, richness to our audience today, Mike. Oh, thank you so much. I had a great time. And thanks for having me on the show. Absolutely, my friend. Thank you once again, storytellers, for spending time today with me and Mike Giannoulis. Today's interview was so enriching for me. And I 
trust, I believe, that it is also enriching for you. Notice that I don't say that I hope it was. I'm very careful about the words that I choose. And saying I hope kind of has a small element of doubt in there. Maybe it, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. I'd rather take the positive view and manifest the best outcome always. So I trust and I believe that this show so far has been enriching for you. Mike covered some beautiful, profound territory today relating to mindset and how important it is to the way you experience the world. He certainly has many things that could have become insurmountable obstacles in his mind. I mean, weighing more than 500 pounds? Then having a stutter, a person could say, well, um, I can't do this, I can't do that. I certainly couldn't be a speaker because I have a stutter. And yet you heard a confident, passionate human being today who is not only a speaker, who is in great shape, but who is out there in the world making a difference. Why? Because he chose to change his story and therefore to change his life. That option is available to all of you. You simply must acknowledge it, want it, and choose it. Help other people to grow. Pay this forward. Let them know that they can hear this mind and life transforming content at iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, and at the website changeyourstorypodcast.com. And at that website, take advantage of the free gift that I've created for all of you, a downloadable free ebook, Storytelling Secrets for a Rich Life and Business. Mike also talked about some powerful, life-transforming books. Any one of them could make a huge difference in the way you see the world and in the way you show up in the world. Definitely go to www.audibletrial.com forward slash story power and claim one of the books that you want for more than 180,000 titles. Get it as an exciting audio book that you can listen to in your car while you work out anytime, any place that you choose. And get one month free trial of all of Audible's service. Things to think about for the following week. One of the things that Mike left us with was, if all the world is a stage, be a character worth remembering. And whether you think you can or you think you can, let me try that again. Whether you think you can or you think you can't, you are right. Those thoughts, those ideas are related to the entire way we view obstacles. And yes, there was a wonderful book mentioned, The Obstacle is the Way by Ryan Halliday. 
In the following week, think about this. What do I perceive in my life as some insurmountable obstacle? How long have I felt that way? How long has it been there as a, a mountain that I believe I could never climb? Recognize that you can transform that mountain into a pebble. Yes, you can. By choosing to see it that way, begin by asking, how can I change my story and change my life? Tune in to the next episode of Louis DiBianco's podcast. Become unstoppable as you learn to change your story, change your life.